If you like Area 45, you're going to enjoy the Hoover Institution's other podcasts, Uncommon Knowledge, The Classicist with Victor Davis Hanson, and The Libertarian with Richard Epstein. Subscribe now to the Hoover Podcast at hoover.org slash podcasts. That's hoover.org slash podcasts. Hoover Podcast, ideas defining a free society. Hello, it's Thursday, July the 23rd, and welcome back to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast examining the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. I'm Bill Whalen, a research fellow here at the Hoover Institution and the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Fellow in Journalism. My guests today, plural, joining me from their respective hideouts somewhere on or near the Stanford University campus are David Brady and Doug Rivers. Dave Brady is a senior fellow here at the Hoover Institution and a longtime political scientist and lecturer at both Stanford University and Stanford's Graduate School of Business. Doug Rivers likewise is a Hoover Institution senior fellow and a Stanford University political scientist. He's also a pollster extraordinaire, chief scientist of YouGov PLC, which is a global polling firm. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show, the state of the race as we like to call it. Today marks 102 days until election day, November the 3rd, but the election is actually closer to that. Some states allow voting up to 45 days before election day. The funny thing, at least from my perspective, this is a very quiet election right now. Were it not for COVID, Joe Biden would have been would have given his acceptance speech a week ago at this time in Milwaukee. He and his running mate would have hit the road this week, maybe a bus caravan across the upper Midwest, a fly around in North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Instead, we don't have bump talk. The only talk we have of Biden is uh, who's going to put on his ticket, which he's announced he might do around August the 1st. So Biden is kind of doing his best to stay out of the news. Donald Trump can't help but stay in the news. And therein lies the problem, I think, which we're going to discuss today. Uh, He's gone back to doing daily press conferences. And when he's not trying to control the bad news, he seems to be making more of it. The public just having no trust in his handling of the COVID crisis. Uh, All of which to me adds up as a very strange election. One candidate making a lot of noise, the other candidate not. Uh, I kind of equate it, gentlemen, to the Ali Foreman fight in 1974, the rope-a-dope where One candidate's just back on the rope, it seems, while the other one is swinging wildly, trying to hit him, and it's not working. So let's begin the conversation. Dave Brady, I want you to start off with, um, we talk about 2020 being different from uh, all other elections, but you've actually looked at numbers comparing 2020 and 2016, and it seems to me there are actually some parallels, statistically at least. So explain what this has in common right now with 2016, this, this point in July 2020 with July of 2016. Well, so what I what I basically looked at is uh, in the uh, in this era of polarized politics, Republicans normally vote Republican, Democrats vote Democrats. So you only have about twenty percent of the voters. Some Democrats vote the other party, and vice versa. And independents, who are the swings. So I looked at uh, YouGov polls from July of twenty sixteen compared to July of twenty twenty this year. And what we have is, in terms of party identification, it's about the same, 47% Democrat, about 39% uh, Republican. So the partisan gap is about the same as it was in uh, 2016. Um, Among those, uh, Biden is uh, doing somewhat better. But uh, say in July, uh, Democrats, 78% said they were voting for Clinton, 5% for Trump. And today it's 90% for Biden and only 4% uh, for Trump. On the other hand, Republicans uh, in July of 16 uh, were 78% for Trump, six Clinton. And in July of 2020, it's 88 for uh, 88 for Trump and six for Clinton. 
And so for both parties, the breakaway points, moderate Democrats uh, are, are more likely to say they're voting for Biden, um, or rather for Trump, and moderate Republicans, uh, about 15% of moderate Republicans say they're going to vote for Biden. Now there are not that many, there aren't that many. Uh, moderate, there are more moderate Democrats than moderate uh, Republicans. Let me say one thing that was interesting. If you look at Republicans, if 16% uh, of Republicans disapprove of Trump on COVID, 36% mm -hmm. of them are voting for Biden. 82% now approve of Trump's handling of COVID. That's down, by the way, from 91 in uh, end of March. And of those who approve of the way Trump's handling COVID, 97% are voting for 97% uh, are voting for Trump, 1% for Biden. And of independence, if you disagree, your Biden leads Trump. If you say, uh, if you say rather that Trump uh, is not handling COVID well, then it's Biden 37, Trump 11. But if you think Trump's done well on COVID, then it's Biden two and Trump 80. So he is doing better, but there are, uh, but uh, Trump's doing a little better in some areas too. Now, Doug, I'm looking at Dave's numbers here, and he shows in 2016, Hillary Clinton had about 77% of liberal Democrats. And according to Dave's numbers, in July of 2020, Joe Biden has 93% of liberal Democrats, while they both come in with 74% of moderate Democrats. What did Joe Biden do to get so much love among liberal Democrats? Because I thought the narrative was that liberal Democrats were kind of wary of Biden, that he wasn't sufficiently progressive, he wasn't sufficiently woke for them. Uh, I don't think Joe Biden did anything. I think it's the fact that he's running against uh, Donald Trump. Uh, there's nothing that unifies Democrats so much as uh, the prospect of another four years of Trump. Um, this is in 2016, um, most Democrats thought they were going to win the election versus Trump, and they could argue over whether they got a Sanders or a Clinton. Uh, this time around, uh, Trump has managed to uh, focus uh, Democrats on winning the election. Okay, so every week, Doug, you do a poll with uh, the Economist, Economist YouGov poll. What is the spread right now in uh, in that poll? About seven points. Um, I don't know if this week has been released, but uh, it was down a little. It's been running eight or nine uh, this week. I think it was seven. Right. Uh, I should mention that is less than uh, what the phone polls are getting, which are typically showing double digit leads for Biden. Um, there's an interesting difference that's emerged that the online polls are uh, less good for Biden than the phone polls. Uh, people who do the phone polls think the phone polls are better. The people who do on the online polls think uh, the online polls are better. Um, my view is they're both pretty good for Biden. Mm -hmm. uh, if he's really able to win this thing by double digits uh, in the popular vote, it will be a blowout. Uh, the Republicans will lose the Senate, uh, maybe by uh, more than just barely. Um, if it's a you know seven point race, uh, you know I think Biden wins comfortably, but uh, uh, Republicans aren't going to get wiped out at other levels. Now, historically, Doug, do we have in election cycles, I'll get you in a second, Dave, uh, is it normal to have a swing in polls like this where one national poll can have it at 14 or 15 points and another one can say seven points? Uh, it's quite common that the phone polls swing this way, which is what makes me skeptical of them. Okay. Uh, 
the uh, you know people forget that the uh, ABC Washington Post poll that got a lot of coverage recently mm -hmm. uh, had Hillary Clinton up by 12 points two weeks before the election in 2016. Right. I'm sorry, Dave. I stepped on you. You're about to. Oh, say that, the, the the poll. The I I have looked at the last poll. The poll that's out the 20 for that finished the week of 19 to 21. Mm -hmm. And on that poll, Doug's exactly right. It's 7.4, uh, Biden's up by 7.4%. Right. So gentlemen, I went inside of that poll. This is the Economist YouGov poll for the 19th to the 21st. And I looked actually at sections 55 through 60. It's a long poll, folks, but it's worth the read. And here's what I looked at, gentlemen, uh, in particular. There was a question about voters' confidence in Biden's handling of the coronavirus. There was a question, are you the voter better off than you were four years ago? Um, Doug is smiling because he asked these questions. They're all very clever. Um, there's a question, is the country better off than it was four years ago? There's a question, what support uh, is there for Trump policies? And then finally a question, are you paying attention to the election? Um, let me just quickly run through these. So Biden's handling of COVID, uh, not the greatest numbers. 31% expressed confidence, 43% were uneasy, 26% did not have an opinion. They weren't sure. Uh, the better off question, uh, I found this dichotomy really telling. 42% of voters said they personally were better off uh, than they were four years ago. Uh, 39%, excuse me, uh, yeah, 42% said better, 39% said worse. But when you rephrase the question and ask, is the country better off or worse off? 31% say better off, 52% say worse off. So while individually people may feel okay about themselves, they're not happy about the country. Uh, next question, uh, supporting Trump policies. I was surprised here, a dead split, 47% support, 45% do not support. And then the final question, Doug, I want you to explain this to me, paying attention. 65% of the public said it's paying attention somewhat or a little bit to this election, 35% only a little. Now, do you think two thirds of the country is really tuned into this election right now, Doug? Well, people over-report what they're paying attention to. Uh, I don't think, uh, you know, I think there's a fair chunk of the electorate that hasn't yet dialed in uh, to this election. Uh, and we don't know exactly how that's going to turn out. Uh, the hope for Trump is that as he wildly swings uh, for an issue that he can get some traction on, uh, he hits something uh, that catches the attention of people who aren't yet committed to one of the candidates. But having said that, this is not an election with a huge set of swing voters. Uh, it's, it's a pretty small target, uh, and they are not voters that Trump seems to be focused on at the moment. Uh, you know, if you thought of a campaign that would be supremely ineffective in attracting uh, suburban women, uh, Trump has uh, perfected that. Very good. Uh, I noticed uh, there was a question about uh, enthusiasm for the candidates in this poll. And Doug, the two candidates came about uh, came out about the same on the enthusiasm question, and that surprised me. Yeah, uh, there are various ways of asking that. Uh, the one that we've done in the surveys for Yahoo News, I like a little better. Um, it's uh, we ask, uh, is your vote primarily a vote for Donald Trump or against Donald Trump or for Joe Biden or, or against Donald Trump? Mm -hmm. um, and what you see is that the Biden vote is 80% against Trump, uh, only 20% of vote for Biden. Um, if you look at the Trump voters, uh, the ones that are voting for him say it's, it's a vote for Trump, not a vote against Biden. 
Um, The Biden voters are a little higher on the enthusiasm measure, uh, but it's anti-Trump enthusiasm. Uh, I don't think Biden needs to do much anything to uh, uh, win these votes. Okay, so Professor Brady, that does raise the question, can a candidate back into office? Can a candidate win just solely on not being the other guy? You, you can, uh, you can, but it, it seems that uh, in 2016, you would have said Trump sort of backed into the office. We didn't think that uh, he could win. And as you know, we all predicted that, uh, that he would lose, and, and he didn't. But this time, I think it's exactly what Doug says. Uh, Donald Trump in 2016 isn't Donald Trump in 2020. He's been president all this time. Mm-hmm. And the uh, coronavirus, uh, it, it, you know, if you looked in the end of March, he, he looked in pretty good shape. He had a, overall, he was as high as he'd been, about 47% approval. He was about e- even, Stephen, on overall approval. The right. betting pools all had him the odds on favor to be reelected. Uh, most Democrats, when asked, thought that Trump would win the election. And, and the result of coronavirus and to a certain extent, the Black Lives Matter, but uh, mainly the coronavirus, that, that's actually uh, hurt him and shown up his uh, weaknesses as president, uh, as perceived by the American public. So it's going to be hard to back in. It, uh, yeah, I think he can. Biden can win, not being Donald Trump. Okay, so he could simply stay in his basement between now and the 102 days to election day, not come out, not say much, and still get elected president. In this environment, I think that is a viable strategy. Yeah, I don't know that you can go quite that far, but I don't think he needs to be out very much. And in fact, if you look at it, he hasn't said very much. He's just released a few policies. And the question for Biden, it seems to me, is where he's going to lose votes. It's not on the left now. Mm-hmm. He's done as much. So the question is, he's losing more votes among moderate Democrats than he is among the others, because I think among liberal Democrats, they really despise Trump. And so they're turning out and they're voting. But the moderate Democrats are, uh, are where he could lose. And uh, so I think it matters who he chooses as uh, vice president. I think he has to do reasonably well in the debates. But um, I, I think he's... Uh, He's, it looks to me like he's, he's uh, you'd have to say, uh, odds on favor to win. I think the word you're searching for is positioned. Yes, thank you. Positioned. Doug, I was looking at a uh, NBC uh, Wall Street Journal poll that came out today, and they uh, looked at uh, shifts in key voter groups uh, between uh, this year and 2016, and two groups uh, stood out. I want to get your thoughts on this. The first is whites with college degrees. In 2016, they voted for Hillary. 51 to 42 over Trump. The spread is now 21 points, 58 for Biden, 37 for Trump. So Biden's picked up seven. Uh, Trump has lost five. But the other one stood out, Doug, was uh, 65 year, year old and older voters, senior voters. Uh, they went 56 to 41, according to this poll in 2016 for, um, for Trump. 56 41 was the number. In this poll, Doug, it's 50% Biden, 45% Trump. So according to NBC's numbers, um, Biden has picked up nine points over Hillary, but Trump has lost 11 points. Uh, does that jive with what you see in your polls? Uh, roughly. I mean, it, uh, it's approximately equivalent. I, I think it's pretty simple that uh, most voters expect the uh, candidates they support to want to keep them alive. And uh, that hasn't been a priority for uh, Trump during COVID. Okay, so that explains the seniors. What about whites with college degrees? 
that anything well, he, Trump has done, or is that just a function of style? They want they well, want a calmer president. They want bipartisanship. They want good government. Well, this is a long term trend that, uh, if you look back uh, over twenty years ago, there really wasn't uh, a big advantage to one party or the other in high education voters. If anything, mm-hmm. they're more Republican than average. Um, and they've slowly become more democratic, and there's a big jump up in the 2016 election with uh, college graduates uh, being, uh, it was 18 points more likely to vote, white college graduates being 18 points more likely to vote democratic than uh, whites without a college degree. Uh, And the way Trump has governed um, has just exacerbated that. Uh, On the other hand, the effect is less than it might seem uh, that the, uh, the highly educated uh, white voters tend to be concentrated in the coast less in the rest of the country, and right. uh, therefore it's 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 a group the Democrat helping the Democrats in places where they don't need lots of help. Right. So speech, so democracy, and uh, popular vote elections. In which case, they drum up the vote in New York and Chicago. Right. And win that way. Uh, Dave Brady going into more poll numbers here on Economist and uh, YouGov polling. Um, Doug Rivers asked the question, are you upset with the candidates? 34% of registered voters said they're upset by the choice of Joe Biden. 45% said they're upset by the uh, choice of Trump. I don't have the 2016 numbers in front of me, but I imagine they also weren't very pleasant. Can you think of any time in America... Can you think of any time in American history, Dave and Doug, when we've had two straight elections, which for a lot of voters were just the equivalent of pulling a slot machine and getting straight lemons. Well, Biden's <laughs> numbers are, so if you look, uh, I, I have, I don't have it uh, with me here, but in several presentations, we look back to 1936 when we first started getting Gallup data on this. Mm-hmm. And the two most unpopular candidates in history for the presidency were both in 2016, Hillary Clinton <laughs> and, uh, and Donald Trump. And and so Biden Biden's numbers are, they're not they're not as bad as McGovern's are but they're they're kind of in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm surprised that Trump number is as low as it is. Forty five percent would seem to me it's forty five percent would seem to be a bit a little higher. Yeah, Doug, I agree with Dave on that. Uh, you know, I, Biden doesn't have the problems that Hillary had. Uh, the visceral dislike of Biden just uh, doesn't exist. So uh, I, while uh, I think people had a lot of reservations about Biden uh, in the primaries, he's uh, too old, gaff prone and so forth. Um, there wasn't the level of animus that uh, there was against Clinton. Um, and uh, so uh, that makes it a much tougher race for Trump. I, th- I think uh, there are two things in 2020 that worked so well to Biden's favor and worked uh, really against uh, Trump. Uh, number one, he could call her dishonest Hillary, and it did fit into this trope that had been going on for the better part of 25 years where you just can't trust her the first time she says something. It's like having the kid who just gives you a version of the truth. You just have to pull the truth out of them step by step. So he would call her dishonest Hillary, and it would resonate with people. 
Um, he's trying Sleepy Joe with, with Biden, but Biden's not out on the trail exhausting himself, so he doesn't look sleepy right now. And if you watch the press conference he did it, um, the other week in the Rose Garden, he just kind of threw the kitchen sink at Biden, just kind of accused him about everything under the sun. And I thought to myself, this is not effective because you're not really pinning one thing on him. You're just trying to throw, it's like throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what will stick. So it's an interesting challenge here. The guy's been in national politics for almost 50 years now, but I'm not sure if there's one vulnerability that voters instantly think about Biden. Uh, the other advantage really I think Biden has had, which has frustrated Trump, is the idea that, yeah, he's 77 going on 78. If he campaigns it up, he's going to wear himself down and start committing mistakes. But you know what? For the last four months, he's been in his house for the most part. <laughs> he's not getting eight hours of sleep a night. He's a fool. So he is. He's not, I don't know if he's tan, but he's certainly rested. And he should be in a good position to go out and sprint down the uh, down the home stretch here. So um, the Trump campaign does not have the um, the blessing, if you will. Remember, 2016, Hillary was out every day campaigning. And just so for Hillary skeptics, it's a reminder of, my God, there she is. We're a day close to the election. Is she could be president? I think it added to the angst over her. You don't see Biden every day. And I think this is just an incredible benefit for him right now. Yeah, just, I agree with you completely there. But the ability to stay out of the spotlight uh, without being criticized for it. Uh, you know, if this were a normal year, you couldn't possibly run this campaign because it would look like you're uh, scared and weak and ineffective. Uh, but right now it makes Biden look like he's responsible, mature and wise. And again, he's just not in the news every day while Trump is out there flailing away on the news every day. So it's, like the rope dope, but I guess to mix my boxing metaphors, <laughs> so Joe Lewis. Did you just call Trump a dope, Bill? <laughs> rope dope. No. I also, by the way, think the sleepy Joe. I don't see how that hurts because one of the big things that people hold against Trump is he's on Twitter. He's too much. It's too much yeah. about him. It's all he's always on. And the fact that sleepy Joe, that the, there are a lot of people who say that's not so bad. I'd, I'd rather not see the president every half hour. Yeah. Now, this but, does change next week because Biden has said that by about August the 1st, he will announce his running mate. So now he does make news in a big way. I'm not sure if they're going to go do a tour afterwards or not. The Democratic Convention, I think, is the, what is it, Doug? It's like the 13th of August or something like that. So, um, you know, he can wait a week or two and do all this at the convention. But yeah, he, he will be I've making heard news. they said they're going to wait a little longer. So it's probably not going to happen at the first. The point is he will be making news in a very big way, and that will shape the race. But let's talk a bit about the vice presidential pick, how important it is. I think he wants this to be as little attention as possible. Little attention as possible. Why? Yeah. Um, First, it's, it's really hard to win a presidential election based on the strength of your vice presidential candidate. Uh, the, uh, but there is going to be a week after the announcement where whoever it is will get a lot of attention. Right. Uh, and some of that will be negative. And at the moment, Biden is getting almost no negative press about anything. Right. Uh, and uh, if he goes for somebody who's perceived as being more moderate, there'll be disappointment on the left. If he goes for someone on the left, there'll be disappointment in the center. Uh, so uh, I think they want this to come and go and not to be a big deal. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, from the Biden campaign, it's let's pick someone that looks like a responsible choice that won't uh, make people nervous. Right. I, I, yeah, I agree with Doug. Uh, totally, right. they'd like it to go away. Uh, they'd like it to go and pass away as quickly as possible because whoever he picks is going to be some criticism internal to the party, and you want to hold it together. 
I do think the one thing that is important is the choice has to reassure people that if something happens to Biden, the country will be okay because she will be able to uh, be, in a, be a reasonable president. So that, that he's got to solve that problem. But beyond that, I, I think that's Doug's exactly right. What they want is it to go away, let it go, wait till the debate. Well, I assume his pick of vice president's a window into the soul of that campaign and that they're looking at their polling data as well. They're, they're trying to figure out how to cobble together 270 electoral votes and that candidate is going to help shore up a deficiency. Uh, you guys follow the numbers though. If you're Joe Biden, what does he have to worry about? Does he have to worry about picking somebody suitably moderate to keep moderates happy? Does he have to pick somebody suitably progressive to keep uh, progressives happy? Uh, he can't please everybody with his pick. Somebody's right. going to win and somebody's going to lose. So where, what vulnerability does he have to show up right now? I think he has to worry more about the moderates because the moderates at this point are more likely to say they'll vote for Trump. He has a small, a lower percentage of them than he has of the liberal wing of the party. So I think he has to take, uh, and what, what moderate means of the, pot, of the potential candidates, I think it has to be someone who has uh, experience. It can't be any of the uh, candidates that have no electoral experience, Susan Rice, stuff like that. that that's not going to happen. So I think he has to worry about uh, the moderates. And, and, and so my guess on that case is, and, uh, and given Black Lives Matter, my guess is he'll pick uh, Kamala Harris. Hey, Kamala, what do you think, Doug? Kamala? No idea. I have no insight into that. But uh, Neither do I. I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the left, first, Biden is not going to pick someone who is anathema uh, to the left wing of the Democratic Party. None of the people on his list are uh, outrageous to the left. Uh, there will be disappointment if he picks somebody uh, uh, who is more perceived more as being on the moderate wing, uh, but they'll get over it. Uh, the moderate voters are not Democrats. Uh, you know, the, these are the voters that uh, swing between the parties and that's where you can pick up a little by be re being reassuring uh, and maybe lose a little more by not reassuring that side. I agree with that. Okay. Uh, now, what do you two say to the argument that Donald Trump needs to shake up his ticket? <laughs> He's tried everything else. Maybe, uh, maybe that would work. Uh, I'm rather skeptical. I, I don't. Do you mean by that you mean? Right oh, look, I look. I worked on the '92 Bush campaign, which is yeah. usually not a bragging point on one's resume. Um, but uh, in 1992, George H. W. Bush was struggling as a candidate. And at all times, there was talk about how to shake up his presidency. And that quickly turned and talk about one thing, dump quail, put somebody new on the ticket, it will energize the, the, the race. And you hear the same thing now. And in 2020, you hear talk of uh, Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, just somebody who can put new energy into the ticket and somebody who can go out there and pick off some voters Trump's not getting now. But again, this raises the question, does a vice presidential pick really get you all that much. Let me, let me take those two picks and say the first case, so Tim Scott is black. Mm -hmm. you, you really believe if he puts Tim Scott on, or he's going to get like a huge uh, African-American vote. They're going to say, oh, Donald, yeah, I'm with you. I, so I don't see he picks up anything there. And why would Nikki Haley want to do it? She looks to be in pretty good position to make a strong run in 2024. Mm -hmm. So why does she want to, I mean, maybe party loyalty in that, 
But if the if the election, which it could turn out, is a uh, real, it, uh, they lose and they lose the Senate. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't look good for her. So I, I would, if 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 you were advising Nikki Haley, suppose Bill, you were advising her, would you say take it? Just to uh, put back on you. I would actually think very strongly about it because if the ticket fails, it's not going to be her fault. It's going to yeah. be all on Trump, and she could actually put herself in a clever position, Dave, where she can say, look, I'm part of the solution, but I also supported the president when, you know, he needed me, which is a good way to reach out to those Trump voters who we forget are still going to vote in primaries and are still will be very much up for grabs in 2024. So I'm not sure there's that much liability to doing it. I just, I just don't know what's going to get you at the end of the day, because we've talked about his problems, suburban women, we've talked about his problems, African Americans. You're right. It's not like women are come flooding back in the ticket because of Nikki Haley. So, but again, I'm not sure it's such a bad move for. Okay. Reasonable. What do you think, Doug? Well, the the problem is not Pence or his vice presidential candidate. Uh, the same way the problem was not his campaign manager. He also got rid of the, the problem is Trump himself. Uh, yeah, he's the one that's causing the problems for his campaign. Right. Okay. We haven't talked about Congress so far. I've only got brushed past it, but let's. In this oddness, it is the twenty twenty election. Um, what say you two about the idea of coattails? Now, I think, Doug, you've sort of tied it into a percentage performance. If it's a eight, 10 point race, then suddenly you see a stream of Democrats come in. But you're saying that maybe if it's not 10, if it's maybe seven, six, five, something lower, then it's sort of every man and woman for themselves? Yeah, I mean, it, it has to be a big presidential victory to have uh, coattails uh, further down the ballot. To, you know, whether they exist at all is controversial. Um, certainly no one believes they're, uh, really large. Uh, I do think, uh, you know, there's a situation where, uh, Republicans might, uh, be able to, uh, unify around their, uh, Senate candidates trying to hold the Senate, Mm -hmm. uh, if it looks like Trump is going down badly, uh, but uh, I mean, right now, I mean, it looked like the Republicans going into this election had a big advantage in the Senate. And I think that's gone now. Most people think it's, you know, roughly even and decent chance of the Democrats picking up the majority in the Senate. I think that's right. I, I think you, if you watch the flow of Republican money, uh, some big donors to Trump in the past, Adelson and others have not given money to the Trump campaign. They're putting money and started up several sen- uh, keep the Senate campaigns. Uh-huh. So I think Doug's right. And the and the states that I think I think they're going to lose. Uh, Alabama will go back, so it'll be 54-46. Uh, uh-huh. But I think uh, Arizona and Colorado are clearly going to go uh, Democrat, uh-huh. and that leaves uh, Susan Collins in Maine, and she's down three four points to what looks to be a pretty good candidate, Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cunningham is beating Tillis in North Carolina by six, seven points. And the final one is Bullock, in, uh, who's a very, has been a very good governor, very popular governor in Montana. He's up over Danes. So I think Doug is right. If it's, uh, I even think if it's like 53, 47, 54, 46, I think then, then the Democrats do take the Senate. Dave, have you talked to your colleague Terry Anderson about Governor Bullock? Uh, I have talked to my colleague, Terry Anderson, but he's only one data point. And in a state that uh, is predominantly Republican, that Trump won overwhelmingly, right. Bullock was reelected. 
And uh, his, popular, his popularity rankings are higher than Dane's by almost 20 points. Yes, you know, I'm joking. It's an inside joke. Uh, Terry Anderson, Terry, Terry Anderson is a senior fellow here at Hoover. He's a Montanan, so he's a, he has very passionate feelings about the politics of his state. But uh, so Dave has laid out a scenario where the Senate could go pretty easily Democratic, Doug, and um, that would be keeping in the trend of things because if you go back to Bill Clinton and then go to George W. Bush and then Barack Obama, what do they have in common? They come into office and their party controls Congress. Yeah, and that allows... Uh, you know, the, the president a good deal of latitude, which in most cases has gotten them into trouble uh, a couple of years later. <clears throat> yeah, you mean be it overshooting on health care? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Trump had a majority of both houses uh, in 2016 and got in trouble in 2018. Obama had the same thing in 08. And, Clinton uh, in 94. Uh, Clinton in 94. Uh, so uh, there's, and the, uh, the map in 2024 is a tough one for Democrats. Uh, Senate-wise. Uh, 2022, excuse me. 2024 yeah. so looks like it'd be a good year for yes. Democrats. Yeah. 2022, the class that works against Democrats. Right. Uh, but this kind of strikes me as curious because we just seem to be in a rut in presidential politics in this regard and that there is stability in the executive branch. The executive gets elected and reelected. Uh, we've had three consecutive two-term presidents. It's only happened one other time, and that's presidents three, four, and five. So this is an oddity. And yet Congress keeps turning over. Each president comes in with Congress and they do their best within two or six years to lose the conference, uh, Congress. And eight years after the president, into the presidency, they then hand it over to the other party. The other party comes in and they blow it with Congress. And it's just very easy to map out a scenario where Biden comes in in 2021 and come 2022 and they've overreached on fill in the blank taxes, Green New Deal, you name it. There's another course correction. But here's the question, gentlemen. How much longer can our system handle these quote unquote course corrections where we keep tossing out red and bringing in blue and then tossing out blue and bringing in red? Well, I, I think to some extent it's a uh, effect of the polarization between the parties. Uh, so the parties are too far apart relative to the center of the electorate. Uh, and so people aren't terribly happy with either unified Republican or Democratic control. Uh, and so they gyrate between them. I, yeah, I, uh, so it seems to me what happens in 1960, when Jack Kennedy won that election narrowly, mm -hmm. there was a whole bunch of stuff he had on the agenda, but he said, given the narrow victory, you recall, he uh, appointed Douglas, he put two Republicans in the cabinet and okay, just said, this is too close for this uh, agenda. And again, uh, George W. Bush, uh, if you recall, when he uh, won election in 2000, until 9-11, uh, uh, what happened was he passed the education bill. He and Teddy Kennedy were buddies. He looked right. like, uh, he lo he looked like uh, kind of a moderate trying to work with the Democrats. But uh, since that time, polarization has increased and it does, it does make it harder. Uh, it, it just makes it harder to have that. So when Trump wins without a majority, right. the claim is, hey, I'm, I'm, uh, we're going full, uh, full bore ahead. And uh, so I, I think we'll, we'll have to see. Now, John but Casey, imagine, uh, you know, Biden wins the election, the Democrats control uh, both houses of Congress, and Biden wants to be bipartisan. Which Republicans would he actually uh, uh, 
go for, uh, particularly right. considering that the surviving ones uh, would probably be minus some of the more moderate Republicans. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's one interesting way to look at this. That you know, John Kasich, the former governor of Ohio, ran against Trump in 2016. No love between those two. Kasich announced that he is going to speak at the Democratic convention or what passes for a convention this year. Uh, but why is he doing that? Is he doing that because he is wild about Joe Biden and likes Joe Biden's policies? No, he's going there to a denounce Donald Trump and b talk about John Kasich. So, but here's the question, gentlemen: Would John Kasich entertain the thought of joining a Biden administration? He probably would. But could Joe Biden afford to ask him to join his administration? I think he could afford to ask him, depending on the situation. Right. Basic was an uh, expert on the budget, so he, ha he has expertise uh, on the budget. That he might be able to close him. Yeah, I don't think the Democrats would be too enthusiastic about a Kasich budget. Yeah, I don't think they would either. I was oh. going to get there. And the second, the second point I would make is the one Doug just made, the very ones that he's most likely to compromise. If you get a majority, it's the, you get a majority, you're the, one, the ones you'd want to compromise with, you, you've beaten. So the Susan Collins is gone and uh, so on and so forth. So that kind of leaves you with Alaska and I don't know where the other states are. I don't know where, <laughs> I don't know where the other compromise is. No, but that's also assuming that the Democrats in Congress want to compromise. Uh, Chuck Schumer has hinted yes. very strongly that the, but that the filibuster is going to go bye-bye uh, if he gets control of the Senate. So it sounds like they just want to power stuff through. And so here's the question. This is what's fascinating about Joe Biden. Here's a guy who's been in politics for national politics for almost 50 years now. Uh, but as Trump is discovering the hard way, he doesn't have a real kind of, you know, readily identified, you know, Identify you can really identify with right away. Uh, signature issue, signature accomplishments. So, is Joe Biden going to be suddenly this guy who is larger than the system and kind of kind of solves everything, or is Joe Biden going to get swept along by the system, which I think would be the fear at this point? Well, so given how little legislation Trump has actually passed, right. uh, Biden can on the first day repeal all the Trump executive orders and. Uh, you know, fix that. Uh, I think the most interesting ones would be uh, the courts and statehood. Mm -hmm. uh, Democrats uh, are hopping mad at uh, the uh, stolen Garland appointment and, uh, you know, the things they could do about it, expanding the court, are really nuclear options. Um, statehood, Democrats feel the Senate is structurally unfair to uh, and undemocratic. Uh, so Democrats could, for example, with a simple majority vote, uh, admit uh, uh, D.C. and Puerto Rico and add four uh, U.S. senators. Uh, but again, uh, I think that would be enormously controversial. I, mm -hmm. I think the problem the Democrats would have, so at best, I think under ideal circumstances, they'd be 51, 52 seats and more likely 50-50. There, there are some Democrats who are going to come from states where uh, it's not going to work. They're going to have to worry about the senator from uh, West Virginia. There are uh, Democrats who come from N. Bullock and Tester from Montana. Those are two other votes that can't afford to be seen as going too far left. Right. And so I wonder if they're going to be successful getting the filibuster. And if they are, I wonder if they can get uh, 51 votes on all these issues. Yeah, well, remember Obama had 60 votes in the Senate. Yeah, he had, he had almost impossible time getting the, uh, 
Health Care Act passed. So there's one other way to look at this, which is not what does AOC want, what does Bernie Sanders want, what does Nancy Pelosi want, what does Chuck Schumer want, but what does Joe Biden want? Um, a very particularly intriguing question because Joe Biden may be looking at a four-year presidency. It's, a, it's an awkward thing. He can't talk about being a president for just four years. It's only something that you do when you're trailing by 10 points in the last two weeks of the election, saying you only had me for four years to deal with. But the reality is he'll be 81 going on 82 in 2024, and he might be handing things over. So yeah. he, has to think, he has to think about moving things on a, on a short, on a quick trip. You guys look at polls. You look at public opinion. Outside of finding a vaccine for covid what do voters want right now? What what are they looking for from their government? They're looking for two different things. Democrats look for one thing. Republicans look for another. I think most Americans look uh, want institutions, the Congress and the president, to try and solve problems and to do so in uh, a much less partisan way than uh, is uh, presently occurring. Mm-hmm. Well, Democrats have a big agenda. Uh, but it isn't particularly associated with Biden, you know, things like climate change and inequality. Uh, you know, I, I, I would, you know, the main thing that would happen if Biden got into office is it would be to uh, eliminate anything associated with Trump. Right. No, I mean, it sounds like a smart strategy too. The last two democratic presidents came in and they did what? They made a decision in our first two years is what we're going for. And Bill Clinton tried this on healthcare in 1994. It was disastrous. And Obama, he got healthcare actually, but it cost him the house and almost cost him the Senate, which would cost him uh, four years later. Um, But I'm just, it's curious to think about Biden, who is just not a very bold guy to begin with, not a big ideas guy necessarily. Uh, Seems to be kind of like going along with a lot of ideas, sort of like a variation of the Green New Deal and so forth. Does he want to roll the dice and go big in his first hundred days to his first two years? Or does he just want to do implemental change, beginning with Doug Suggestis, wipe out any traces of Donald Trump, and then decide where to move forward from there? Well, he can do a lot of that by doing what Doug said, just getting yep. rid of uh, saying we're not going to do what regulations, the sub- executive orders you had there repealed, uh, so on and so forth. He can do that right off the bat and that people will uh, go along with that. But for me, they're going to have to make calculations in terms of the biggest ones, in terms of the Green New Deal, in terms of all the other policies they want they still have to get 50, even, uh, they still have to get 51 votes, even right. if they repeal the And it's not, they're just a bunch of uh, Democrats from re- relatively conservative states where it's not clear for a tester of Montana that he can vote for all that and get elected. And it's certainly not true for the Senator from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. True, Doug? I can identify the senator from West Virginia, but otherwise I agreed with Dave. Joe Manchin, exactly. I think we're talking about Joe Manchin, yes. Yes, you want his name? I know his name. <laughs> <laughs> let's, um, let's, let's wind down the podcast here. So 102 days out today. So by the time people start listening to this, we'll be about 100 days out. Uh, but again, a goofy schedule because one convention is set at the very end of August. That's Republicans doing... I don't know what exactly, but they'll be in Jacksonville, I think, on the 27th of August. Uh, the Democrats in doing something, I don't know what exactly, in Milwaukee uh, at some point in mid-August, we think. Uh, Dave and Doug, when should we really start benchmarking this thing in terms of time to wake up and pay attention to the numbers? Do we wait Do we wait until the two conventions are over? Should we push it a little further back into Labor Day? When, when should people really start looking at the numbers here? 
I want to look at them. Usually you get the, the start is the huge audience is 35 million people or so listening to the acceptance speeches. Mm-hmm. So I, I, for me, that's the start. Other than that, it's normally Labor Day. That's the time they start uh, going out and campaigning, but that's not going to happen this year. So. Do you think they'll watch a set speech in those kind of numbers? That's, that's exactly why I want to watch it. It's not clear to me that they will watch a set speech in those kind of numbers. So if the numbers are low, then you'll have to say, well, the campaign hasn't started fully yet. If they're big, then you say people are paying attention. I think it's kind of like baseball right now, which opening day is uh, in just uh, an hour from now. Um, are people going to watch baseball in the same numbers without the background, the, the audience and all that? Football, maybe not the same because football is just so baked into our society now. What about watching baseball games where there's just no crowd, the strangeness of it? And I, I do wonder without a live crowd, it takes away a lot of the spectacle, especially of Trump. And is that really, without that same eye candy, are people going to tune in to watch? My guess is baseball, they are. Because the other sports, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that watching, I don't know, soccer in Afghanistan or wherever it's played, people are going to watch baseball at the beginning anyway. Well, being deprived of it, it makes it uh, more interesting. Uh, right. But you have not been deprived. And we haven't of had a political campaign either. So maybe once we have one, people will uh, pay attention more to it than they otherwise would. But I think we've got a good question here because you have not been deprived of Donald Trump. He is on just about every day on TV or saying something and doing something. He just will not take a break. And if he is not going to do something really, you know, on a large pageant scale, which would be a big, big scale convention speech in front of 20,000 roaring people, are you really going to tune in and watch something that looks just like another Trump video? I'm just, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, and Trump reading from a teleprompter is not the most inspiring performance I've ever seen. Well, it's better than reading from the podium at the White House. That's really not pleasant to watch because he just—it's almost like he's reading for the first time. But uh, but I'm that, clearly... I agree with Bill. That, I think the the key. That's why I want to watch the get the numbers. Less about the speeches, the acceptance speeches. I, I think it's a really interesting question: is who's willing to sit there and watch a set speech for? An well, hour? it is to get to this question, Doug. Um, if we're not going to have conventional speeches, which means we won't be talking about a bump. Um, are we just looking at a seven-point race for the foreseeable future? Uh, I think seven is on the low side. Uh, that is our number in The Economist this week. But mm-hmm. uh, remember, poll numbers go up and down, and uh, certainly the average is more than seven. Uh, and you know, if we're looking at a 10-point race in Labor Day, uh, that's a tough gap to make up. Yes. Dave Not fun- impossible, but tough. Dave, Dave, final thoughts. I agree. If the it looks, I think I think it is a little higher than the YouGov poll shows. If it's ten points on Labor Day, and it, to the extent the coronavirus is driving this, uh, and the number of cases go up, uh, I actually think it could be over ten points. And I, I don't I don't see how Biden makes the mistakes that Hillary did. Uh, not going to Wisconsin, Michigan. So I, I so I, I, if it's 10 points, then it's, I don't see how he makes it up. So that's, so, so that actually is kind of the, the thing here. So if he has a 10 point lead and given just the many gifts we've had in presidential politics, the last few cycles of what not to do. So yeah, go back to Wisconsin. Don't ignore swing states. Don't get into a tank. I mean, this is the yes. list of things you just don't do and you have a double digit lead. So <laughs> be able to skate his way in and, you know, 
There we'll see what kind of president he is, but only in America, I guess. Yep. <laughs> okay, well, Dave Brady, Doug Rivers, I enjoyed the talk. Let's do this about a month from now. It'll be, uh, the Democrats should be convening in Milwaukee, so we'll do a little convention talk if you both are up to it, okay? Right. It'll be as exciting as the convention. <laughs> Maybe more. Thank you for raising a very high bar, Doug Rivers. Dave Brady and Doug Rivers, I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. You've been listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast on the policy avenues available to the 45th president of the United States. In this podcast, what avenues the president may have, a very narrow lane, it would appear to re-election. If you've been enjoying Area 45, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us and tell your friends to have a listen. You can find the Hoover Institution online at www.hoover.org. While you're there, do yourself a favor and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, which delivers the best work of Hoover's fellows, including Dave Brady and Doug Rivers, straight to your inbox weekdays. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover, I-N-S-T. Dave Brady is not on social media, but Doug Rivers is. His Twitter handle is at Doug underscore Rivers. That's at Doug underscore Rivers, Rivers spelled as you would expect. And I mentioned his fine polling concern, which is YouGov. Uh, YouGov is on Twitter at YouGov. Uh, the uh, spelling of that is at Y-O-U-G-O-V. YouGov also has its own website, which is a lot of fun if you're a poll nerd and just want to learn all sorts of stuff about what's going on in the world. And the address for that is www.yougov.com. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. On behalf of my colleagues, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll do our best here at the Hoover Institution to help you stay informed. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.